0: Well good morning. Let's pray. Father we thank you for another new week to begin. uh, To begin the task that you've given us to do that we might uh, follow you and love you with our words and with our hearts and with our lives. We pray Lord that you bless us especially as parents as we seek to train and discipline our children to love you with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. So bless us this morning as we continue our study in your word over how to do this and how we might honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to turn today to talk about doctrine and discipline. Those are just going to be our two categories uh, because I think they're really kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Can your family be described as a loving communion. Would that be an apt description of your family? Not perfectly, I know. There are difficulties and problems that we all have, but is the overall description of your family a loving communion? Then, let me say this, if you can't do that, if you can't describe your family that way, then you're doing something wrong. That means something needs to change. Is your marriage a loving communion? If not, then that's where the problem is. If the grown-ups can't love and commune, then the children never will. They can't rise above the leadership. Perhaps we need a big sign in every room in the house that has our mission statement, This place is a loving communion of saints. That should be the reminder, the overarching thing that is in every family. So with that mission in mind, we can now turn to talk about doctrine and discipline. Uh, You're going to have to teach your children, that's what doctrine is, what loving communion is. You're going to have to enforce those standards, that's discipline, to to see to it. That the mission is accomplished. That's your job, to see to it that the mission is accomplished. All the rules and all the enforcement is for the good of your children and family, and ultimately for the good of the world, and for the glory of God. You work for Him. Moreover, when you get serious about His doctrine and receive His discipline, then you can have a loving communion at your house, But not before. There's no shortcuts. There's no other way to get there other than his way. But you have to get serious about that. If you keep doing it your way, you're not going to be happy with the results. Remember, love is always about sacrifice for others. It's always about self-denial. Selfish parents and selfish kids are the problem. Loving God and loving our neighbors are the essential elements in loving communion. And so the family is the primary place where we are tested and where we learn. God gave us his instructions, doctrine. And if it stay if if that if the word of God just stays on the shelf at your house, then that means we stay ignorant.
1: God also brings
0: blessings or curses based on our obedience or our disobedience to his doctrine. I'm talking the parents now. And so we have an obligation to implement this. So again, to summarize, your family is to be a loving communion. Your marriage is to be a loving communion. If it's not, you're doing something wrong. You need to get the instruction book out and read it seriously and, and ask those questions. What are we doing wrong? Why aren't we loving each other? Why aren't we in communion? And then start making those, implementing those changes. So you need instruction, doctrine, and the discipline. That is, involves obedience. That involves doing what God says to do on a regular basis. The family is the primary place, as I said, where we learn and are tested. So God brings blessings or curses Based upon our faith, based upon our obedience, do we believe what he says? And if we do, then that how would we know whether we really believe what he says? Because we do it. If we don't do it, then we don't believe it. We may say we believe it, but the doing is the evidence of the believing and the loving. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It's just that simple. James 1 Uh, 2-5 through says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Do you have trials at your house? Trials in your marriage? Trials in your children? God says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work or maturing work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. God is at work in you. To, to train you, to mature you, to make you what he wants you to be, to be a grown-up. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It won't be given, perhaps, the way, at least the way I used to think. I thought, was well, just pray hard enough, it will fall out of the sky. Now, it usually, where does wisdom usually come? From trials. From the challenges, from the difficulties, from applying God's word or not applying God's word and seeing the results. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials or grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. I think there's an important principle here about child raising. God says, I'm testing you. I'm putting you through the fire. Why? Because there's something more important here than the thing itself. I'm more concerned with your faith. I'm I'm more concerned that you become a certain kind of person and that the end result is glorious. And if I have to put you through some difficulties to get you there, to purify you, then I will. And that's the same principle we as parents have to have. We have to understand that this process that we go through day in and day out with our children has this much larger goal in mind. Romans 8, 28, 29, And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God and and are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Same thing we're doing in child raising. We love our children. We want to take every situation, and we want to see it work together for their good, because we are God's instruments as parents to conform them to the image of Christ. So we're we're taking what God's doing in our lives, and we're turning around and doing it in the lives of our children on His behalf, as His representatives. Hebrews 12.11, no discipline for the moment seems to be joyful but painful, but in the end it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Having the long view, having the big picture in mind is what gets us through those momentary difficulties and challenges. Discipline must always have the right goal. As we've already said as we began, the goal is for your house to be a loving communion all the time. It's not. That means you're learning and adjustments are being made. We're learning how to repent and how to forgive and how to learn new things and how to practice the things that we learn. That's true across the board, not just for the children. Because again, your children cannot rise above you. So discipline has to be administered on the objects of love and affection. It is, remember, it's one of the goals of discipline It's being administered upon objects of love and affection. These are the people we love. So everything we do is for their good. It is administered, so it's administered for their good. It is administered with justice, fairness. It is administered with the larger goal of happiness in view. It is administered with a view toward self government our maturity Now remember we've already talked about this but this is critical as we turn to talk about doctrine and discipline you parents you are in charge not them This means that you have a duty toward God and a responsibility toward your children You got that duty toward God you're under him Lord what would you have me to do and he tells us and now we do it that's our that's our responsibility And so you, as parents, make the rules. That's doctrine. You will enforce the rules. That's discipline. In order to save and sanctify your children in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. Drawing the lines on doctrine and discipline is rather simple, actually. In fact, we take the whole Bible and God summarizes it in Ten Commandments, right? And then, if that's not enough, he summarizes the two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. How? Well, here's the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but what do those mean? How do I honor father and mother? Oh, well, here's the whole Bible. Old Bible is a commentary on the Ten Commandments, an expansion, an explanation. So you have to make the rules. You're going to take God's Word, and you're going to make your house rules. That's what you're going to teach. Drawing the lines on doctrine and discipline, as I said, are simple. You will decide, using God's word as your standard, what is and what is not acceptable behavior, and you will clearly communicate the lines to your children. There's doctrine, there's teaching. When those lines are crossed, the consequences must be imposed. That's discipline. And there's a range of discipline, whatever it takes. Sometimes a look, sometimes a a word will accomplish that, a correction. Sometimes it takes more than that, depending on how obstinate someone is. Now there is a time and a place for mercy, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. You must be committed to instructing and training in the doctrine, and what, what must and must not be done, and equally important and i think here's where a lot of times we fall short how it must be done so i see parents who insist that their children do certain things and the whole time the kids stomping their foot and giving a dirty look and pouting about it and we don't do anything about that well at least they're cleaning their room or at least they're doing so that's we're not looking for the least that's the problem It's the heart that we're looking for. And if we stop short of the heart, if all we're getting is some outward conformity because they're trying to avoid a spanking or uh, some, some external discipline, then we've missed the point ourselves. We're not being obedient either. That's not what God called us to do. He called us to do it with all our heart in order to gain their hearts for the Lord. And a stinky attitude... Is, is the problem. That if, if the attitude was right, you wouldn't have a problem with the externals, right? So it's when the heart is wrong, when the attitude is wrong, when there's a rebellious heart, that is the disobedience. And if we miss that, we've missed the point completely. And so you must carry out the enforcement of the doctrine and discipline regardless of whether it's convenient or unpleasant to you. Or whether you feel good or not. Discipline is not about punishment, it is about it is not about vengeance, and it's not about you. Its sole purpose is to bring about good to your children as God defines good. So godly discipline begins with you being governed by God and His Word. It begins with you being governed by God and His Word. He gives you the orders, that's doctrine, and your job is to implement His orders. He also gives you the means to accomplish those orders. That is, He gives you authority. He puts you in charge. He made you bigger than them and smarter than them. He gave you the means to support them. You have all the power... And God requires you to use that power in a loving way to accomplish this goal of raising children to His glory. And He will hold you accountable for carrying out His orders. That's discipline that God gives. So a Christian household is like a little city which has a government. You are to be governed by God who is the King. And then you have been made governors of the household. You are governors of your children. Ultimately, you will turn over the government to your adult children, where they will in turn govern themselves under God and eventually govern new households to His glory. Thus fulfilling thus filling the earth... With loving communion, which was the original creation mandate. We're restoring paradise. And so that paradise has to first get restored at your house and in your marriage. That's what being called to Christ is. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You actually follow Jesus. And that means you learn to do what He says to do when you don't feel like it. When you don't like it. Submission, coming under the mission, submission means doing things when they're hard to do. Everybody can do things when it's easy. Well, I don't feel like forgiving. Yeah, well, too bad. God didn't ask you to feel like it, He asked you to do it, He told you to do it. As my children heard over and over about the broccoli. You don't have to like it. You do have to eat it. Liking it is not required. It's nice. It, it goes down a lot easier if you like it. But eating it is what I told you to do is take a bite. God says, do these things. I don't feel like it. I don't think it'll work. not your job to determine whether it'll work. God decides whether it'll work. Remember, the whole problem goddesses the mess goddess in the first place was us questioning whether God knew what he was talking about. And so Eve decided she would take matters into her own hand, and she didn't see anything wrong with doing it her way. And neither did Adam. And that's been our problem all along. And when we have problems in our household, it's usually, it's almost always, because we think we know better than God. And we're going to do it our way. And then we're Surprise when we're unhappy and things aren't going well. You know what that's called? Discipline. Judgment. God says, you want to do it your way, go for it. I'll let you see what that feels like. I'll let you feel the pain of doing it your way. Now, some of us are kind of slow, and Proverbs talks about the fool. No matter how many times he gets whacked, he keeps doing it his way. That's a fool. And we're fools frequently because we keep doing it our way and it keeps going badly and things are unhappy. You know what? Unha- unhappiness is there. By the way, I think unhappiness is kind of a euphemism for a curse or misery. So God says, You're going to feel the curses of disobedience to me and you'll feel them in your life. It doesn't, uh, it, it's not. Uh, it, it's the it's the thing itself that produces the unpleasantness what happens if you stick your finger in the fire it hurts and what's that tell you stop it don't do that anymore it hurts and if you keep doing it, it the pain's going to get worse and yet we do that all the time in our families. We've got unhappiness everywhere, pain everywhere, and we keep doing it. God says, Jesus said, I came... Let me ask you, do you believe this rhetorical question? I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Was he kidding? Do you have abundant life? I asked the question as we begin: Is your house a loving communion? Is that the description of your marriage, your house... Your family. If it's not, you're doing something wrong. Stop it. What do I put in its place? That's what we're talking about. God's Word. So, um, ultimately, as I said, you're going to turn this government over to your children. Let's think for a moment about covenant children. Children born into Christian households. The citizens of our city. There's a wide range of cultivation, that is, development of a culture that takes place or doesn't take place. Everybody has a culture, whether they self-consciously develop it or not. And so there are the diligent and the not-so-diligent, the ignorant and the slothful and even rebellious parents. Each of these are going to cultivate a different type of soil and create a different kind of culture. Influences include affection and discipline, instruction, example, community, prayer, worship, education, friends, television, books, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Now the Bible, I've cited this many times before, but just such a great passage, it describes what happens when you do nothing. Are there forces already at work? Yeah, sin. Sin in the heart. We're naturally sinners. We're born that way. Your children are born that way. You're that way, and if you do nothing to counter that, there will be huge problems. So Proverbs 24, I went by the field of a lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. He doesn't read his Bible. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles, its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the, of the hands to rest, a little television. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. That's the discipline, that's the judgment that comes. A passive approach to the cultivation of our household potentially leads to the very disasters of the parable uh, of the sower and seed that Jesus talks about. And in the case of Proverbs here, it was the result of a lack of understanding and slothfulness. As a result, full of thorns, thistles, moreover, the wall that was supposed to protect the vineyard from the outside influences had eroded and fallen down. All it takes for a disaster to come upon this vineyard is a lack of diligence. Just don't do anything. Be casual about it. Now, a child, I want to talk about child discipline, training as the means of cultivation. A child must learn from the beginning. Here's a key point. They must learn from the beginning that it is the will of the parents and not their own will That must be followed. That's a fundamental thing. Just as Jesus said to his father, Not my will, but your will be done, that should be what your children essentially say in their hearts to you. Yeah, I would like to do this, but mom, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it your way. Now, I know we got a big gap here, right? So, the word of the parents is law. Children must learn to respond instantly to their parents. Never give in to a child that is begging or whining for, some, for something they want. Teach them the proper way to make their needs known. Begging and whining is not proper. It's disrespectful. The results of going against the will of the parent must be the controlled use of of pain. There's different kinds of pain. A frown sometimes is sufficient. An eyebrow down at at a child, a look of disapproval. Sometimes that's sufficient pain to get the needed adjustment in behavior. You can't train a child until you have first brought that child under your control. You can't establish control without conflict, Children will always test the boundaries. Sinners who want to be God. Your children want to be God. They want to be their own God. Don't let them. That's the worst thing that can happen. You know why? Because that's a false God. And it'll that false God will send them to hell. Parents must win every challenge to their authority. No matter how insignificant it may seem. Attitude is as important as outward obedience. Father and mother must always win. Rachel, here's where the story comes. She's only heard this a million times. Most of you have heard it. I think Mary corrected me on some of the details, but uh, the principle is the same. How old was Rachel when we had the showdown? Well, this one was this one was this one was the showdown. okay, three or four, and we were homeschooling, and I was home for lunch from work, and toys were in the floor, and I said, pick up the toys and put them in the basket." And she stood there obstinate. And so this escalated after multiple, I said, pick up the toy and put it in. And she'd done it many times. There was not an issue of whether she was able. There was not an issue of whether she understood. This was clearly a showdown. And so I got the wooden spoon out and began the, to to uh, turn up the temperature, as I like to say. And I was on my knees where we were eye level and dealing with this in the living room. And Kristen, who's her older sister, well, they were in the homeschool room. She needed to get something at the back of the house, uh, which meant she had to walk right past us to go to her bedroom to get it, which she did rather quickly. Uh, it was tense. Um, and as she came back, uh, equally quick, and walked past me and Rachel, she stopped and she turned back to Rachel. And this has been going on now for 15 or 20 minutes. And she looked at Rachel and she said, Daddy always wins. <laughs> And she proceeded to leave. And Rachel bent down and picked up the toy. So, um, that was a little thing. I could have picked up the toy for her. I could have made an excuse and said, well, she's having a hard day or whatever. But here I am, all these years later, telling that story. And that's, again, not the only time. Those things happen at some level all the time with our kids. But I'm illustrating the point that not only did, in this case, Rachel need to learn that Daddy always wins, but obviously her older sister had already gotten that point and had heard those words and understood the principle and was able to reinforce it when it was helpful. Um... Every conflict is an opportunity for change and growth. We don't like conflict, so we as parents tend to go out of our way to avoid it. But conflict can't be avoided, and when two wills are involved, inevitably they want to go in different directions. Children are in a perpetual pursuit of happiness that is selfish in nature and seeks instant gratification. The long-term happiness of you and your child is often in conflict with the short-term goals of your children. Likewise, parents often opt for the short-term gratification of avoiding conflict at the expense of the long-term benefit of establishing control. Conflict is part of the training process.
1: Oftentimes the greatest
0: advances in child training come immediately after the greatest conflicts are won by the parents. The greatest fight occurs right before the ship goes down. Therefore, parents, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. And so the fear and pleasure of father and mother. When your child disobeys or rebels against you, they ought to think that the world is coming to an end. In fact, their world is coming to an end. At least the one that they rule in. There should be no reward for rebellion. Your child's greatest fear in life should be the displeasure of father and mother. Now again... All this is in the context of where I started love and affection and seeking the good of our children. We're not being abusive, we're not hurting them. We are loving them. But we will get to this a bit more when we talk about worship. But an example, and I've been talking to those of you who've been here for all the years I've been here. I know we've gone over this multiple times. Um, but when you have to take your child out, I know there are times when your child is sick or they need a diaper change. There are good reasons for children to cry. Uh, in church or whatever they're just being contrary what they ought not ever come to think is somehow if I pitch a fit in church I get to go out and play I get to go have fun what did you teach them what you ought to be teaching them is, is however un, unhappy you are in here you're going to be more unhappy out there you're going to be wanting to come back in here because that's the goal. Remember, you're the one in charge. It's What do you want them to do? You can teach them to do that. They're smart. Your kids are smart. They're plenty smart to learn that if you want to teach it to them. But if you teach them, if you do the other, you're teaching them still. You're just teaching them to do the opposite. And you're going to be doing that the rest of your life. They will be controlling you, not you controlling them. And so when your child... Um, excuse me. Uh, just as the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, the father and mother, as the father's representative, ought to be feared or respected. The child should come to think in terms of avoiding parental displeasure, because they always lose. Again, we're speaking in the context of godly, loving parents. Your children's, your child's greatest pleasure in life ought to be to receive the pleasure and approval. of of their father and or their mother. Just as Christians should live to please God, children should live to please their parents. Therefore, parents must be careful to be consistent and perpetual in offering both correction and approval. One without the other cannot accomplish the proper training of children. This is simply the way God trains His children. Trains us. And so it's important to distinguish, though, and I'm going to, this is a thing I think I heard from James Dobson many years ago. So, as you're dealing with particularly younger children, it's important to distinguish in a child the difference between childish ignorance and willful rebellion. Some commands, some doctrine, a child can't obey because they've never been taught. They've never been trained. They don't know what you mean, or you're not communicating clearly. Um, It is imperative to you to be certain your children understand what it is you expect of them. One way to do that is have them tell you back what it is you ask them to do. Or a better way, oftentimes, is to show them what you want them to do. If you're wanting to clean something, show them what that looks like. Do it yourself. Here, come here, I'll help you. Let me show you how to do this. So next time I ask you to do this, you'll know what 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 we're going to do so then the next time you ask them put your shoes up and you've shown them that you mean go get them and line them up in the closet that that's what you mean and then the next time you say I want you to put your shoes up and what does that mean and then they tell you put them in the closet how do you put them in the closet line them up okay go do it now if they don't do it that's disobedience See the difference, but if you have a different definition of put your shoes up than they do, now we've got a a dispute that's unclear and could be perceived, perhaps excuse me, perhaps by them as some kind of an injustice. Um, they might be unable to do certain things that older children can do, or they might just be clumsy, or perhaps they really didn't hear what you said for them to do. You you have an obligation to be clear. On the other hand, willful rebellion is when a child either actively or passively rejects your authority. They do know what you want them to do. And they're able to do it, they just don't want to do it. And so the big picture of child training must always be kept in mind because a particular incident may seem small and inconsequential. Battles not won today will have to be fought again later, but they will be much harder later, especially if the child prevailed in the first battle. So authority and control are always the primary issue. The particular conflict between parent and child may be easy to excuse. Oh, she's sick or she's tired or she hates that job. But if it's sinful rebellion, it's simply sinful rebellion. They know what you want, they're able to perform it, they just don't want to obey. You're familiar with that problem because that's what adults do toward God.
1: And remember, you always get more
0: of what you pay for When the child perceives any kind of payoff for their rebellion, you are guaranteed to get more of that rebellion um, perhaps the, uh, their unpleasantness causes you to avoid asking them to do things in the future. They threw a fit last time I asked them to do that, so I don't want to have a fit, so I just want to ask them to do it. And again, you see that in stores, you know. Somebody's pitching a fit, they want a toy, no, no, no. But guess what happens next time we come to the store? If you'll be good, I'll buy you a toy. Who won If you don't, uh, so if you do it yourself because you don't want the hassle, then they won and you lost. There should never be a payoff for any kind of rebellion. So what does rebellion look like? Here's some lists. I'll just go through these quickly. Saying no, stomping the foot, swinging the fist, growling. I've seen that more than once. Eyebrows down. Hitting, kicking, temper fits of various types. Running away while you're instructing or correcting. Talking back. Whining, pouting. You probably have some others you could add to the list. What about subtle or passive rebellion? Outward compliance with internal resentment. Facial expressions. Unhappy eyes. Glaring or clenching the teeth. Forgetting. Forgetting is a sin. Failure to carry out instructions. Doing a sloppy job on a required task. In other words, doing what's required but not doing it the right way. Delaying obedience until some new threat is ordered. So, I think I'm going to stop here today because the next section... Is, our, is a section called Guidelines for Discipline and there's not a good stopping place there so I think this would be a good place to stop today and we'll continue uh, next Sunday our discussion of discipline That's great. Father we thank you for your word we thank you that you teach us you give us your doctrine you give us your discipline because you love us and help us Lord now as parents to love our children the way you love us and to diligently teach them, to delight in them, to enjoy them and, and rejoice in, in the ways that they reflect your glory and image. But Lord, to also love them enough to correct them and to insist that they not sin, that they not be rebels in their hearts. And that they grow in their love for you and for your church and for your people and for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.